0: It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallin and Dustin Hawkinsmith. All right,
1: welcome back into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. It's brought to you by Penn State Health. That's Daniel Gallon, I'm Dustin Hockinsmith. We're coming out of Penn State's bye week. Without any reduction in in the drama, I would say, and, and the intrigue around this Penn State football program, obviously, Daniel, going into the bye week coming out of Iowa, there were some real and possibly some fake injuries that Penn State had to move beyond. Uh, the big one, of course, Sean Clifford, uh, starting quarterback, I think coming out of Iowa and even the early part uh, of last week, you know, you're you're kind of not ruling him out, but not expecting much from him. So now this week we, we go into it and James Franklin talks with you guys on Tuesday. It's all about, Take Juan Roberson and Christian Bayou, more or less a 50-50 split when it comes to practice reps. And now on Wednesday, Sean Clifford is out there participating in the media portion of it. And now the the math goes down to one-third, one-third, one-third. I ask you, Daniel, what do you make of all of this? You know, the the practice reps, the Sean Clifford appearance, how surprising that was and what all this might mean.
0: It's been a lot. Uh, for for lack of a better term, last week, based on what James Franklin said during our Wednesday bye week availability, Sean Clifford wasn't out at practice. It was Roberson, Veyu, and then you had Mike Yersich in there with them throwing passes, the offensive coordinator. So based on that, it didn't sound encouraging. Come back, hear what James Franklin has to say Tuesday. Again, not that encouraging with Clifford's availability for Illinois, and then we walk out onto the practice field outside the lash building last night and there's number 14 you kind of have to do a double take to make sure that it's not a scout team guy that it's not someone you know posing a Sean Clifford you got to you know you got to verify um and it it's him you know he's first in line for all of the reps that they're going through obviously it's only individual drills and it's really easy to to look good when you're you know, working on handoffs or throwing routes against air. The ball still looks good coming out of his hand. It's hard sometimes with these elite athletes to kind of see how they move. They kind of have these because the way that their bodies are, sometimes they have these weird gates where you can't quite tell if there's something wrong with them, if they're limping. I remember watching Carson Wentz just kind of jog slowly or walk around was always something where just the mechanics of it always looked kind of weird, kind of gawky. And bottom line is we still don't necessarily know uh, what is going on with Sean Clifford. We don't know if he'll be able to play Saturday against Illinois. We don't know if he'll be able to play next Saturday against Ohio State. But he was on the field. And when he's on the practice field, it's another thing that you have to think about.
1: And, and I think that's part of the element here, part of the presentation, whether that's to Brett Bielema and the Illinois staff, or that's to Ryan Day and the Ohio State staff, or both of them, or everybody, you know, the gamesmanship is a possibility. And there's also, obviously, we've known this for a long time, it's been a point of discussion, but no comments on injuries and no depth chart just allows speculation to run wild. But I know, you know, even after all this, as we sit here on a Thursday, it seems the safest to assume that taekwon Roberson is your guy on Saturday against Illinois. Would you agree with that presumption?
0: Yeah, I think so. That's just kind of where kind of it feels like everything is pointing. And even if Sean Clifford were to play, I think that you would have to kind of treat it like how you would want to treat a Ball State game or a Villanova game where you get him in, you run up a big lead, a little bit more difficult to do against a Big Ten team than a MAC team or an FCS team. But then after you get to that point, get him out, rest him, make sure he's healthy, and then get Roberson a lot of work. Um, But I think that Penn State would be well served uh, by giving Roberson some significant run. I think that an offense that would cater a little bit more to his strengths would be interesting. He got them in rhythm using his legs against Iowa, especially on that field goal drive in the third quarter. And he should have been more prepared. He should have been better when he came in against Iowa, but they pretty much had him running the exact same things that they were running with Clifford in terms of those quick passes mixed in with some deep passes, but it would be interesting to see kind of what he could do from square one, what they do to get him into rhythm. So I think, I think we'll see Roberson on Saturday at noon, I don't think we'll know until then, but at the same time, I would not be surprised if there's something weird w- with Sean Clifford, either he's warming up, he's in the huddle for the first series, something along those lines. Um, I think that James Franklin has the opportunity to kind of really do some posturing, some subterfuge, and uh, we'll see. He wants I think he just wants to give everyone everything to think about.
1: And I, you know, from a coaching perspective and, and, and trying to gain whatever advantage you can, I, I, I suppose I see that. Uh, what are the odds you think one way or another that you see multiple Penn State quarterbacks on Saturday? And, and the, you know, the I'm asking because one, you know, Sean Clifford, you know, I, I know they weren't. Exactly um physical reps, but like he he's out there in practice, and it, it would look like you know that he he's angling to at least try and give it a go, so there's that possibility. there's also the other possibility this week that Christian Bayou is closer than than he probably should be in the competition with Roberson if Clifford isn't unavailable. I'm interested to see if we could see Christian Bayou as well, but just the the just the whole dynamic how you think that's going to unfold on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think definitely the most interesting thing that James Franklin said on Tuesday was that it, it's somewhat close between Christian Veiu and Taquan Roberson. Taquan Roberson's in his third year with the program; he's a redshirt sophomore. Christian Veiu is a true freshman who arrived in January and didn't even have a senior season at the Bowl School. I think that that was really interesting, especially when at the end of August, James Franklin said it was pretty obvious uh, who the number two quarterback was. Was that the players could tell who it was. That That's how things were shaking out. So I think that you'll see Vayu at some point on Saturday. The context, though, is interesting. I mean, I think that if you see him in a situation before the game is in doubt, I think that that kind of raises some red flags, raises a lot of questions. But if Penn State is up by three touchdowns in The fourth quarter or maybe even four or five in the in the third quarter somehow then i think you could see vayu because you know roberson was one snap away for the first five plus games of the season and then vayu was one snap away for the last 40 minutes so i think that he's going to need to be prepared you're going to have to have him ready and you know i think part of it too is just kind of the reality of playing quarterback i mean james franklin talks about it a lot where the only way to get guys reps is to get guys reps. It's hard to get guys reps because for some of these guys, that means things aren't going well, that, that things are going wrong. Um, so I think this is an opportunity for Penn state to get value work, get in a lot of work and just kind of get themselves right uh, for what remains the rest of the season, especially if Sean Clifford has something that could linger or be aggravate, aggravated or, or something along those lines.
1: And I think this is another part of the conversation. The word investment comes to mind. Investment before Iowa in getting Taquan Roberson game reps and practice reps and making sure he's as ready as, as he can be. You know, as a coaching staff, that's really difficult when you're trying to play at a high level to try to take away from your obvious starter and give the... James Franklin said those reps are like gold. That's what the, the wording he used this week. And so now it's like the investment level... One third, one third, one third. You know, you are. Are you going to have three guys who are half prepared to to <laughs> execute a, a a game plan against Illinois, and then the other part of the the word investment, I think, is. You know, it would seem that there are breadcrumbs out there, specifically the the fact that Christian Bayou is somewhat close to Taequann Roberson, that maybe the investment on the player's end, there hasn't been that urgency of preparing as if he were the starter behind the scenes. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that I think is all part of the same conversation as as Iowa. You know, was your backup quarterback prepared? And whose who's responsibility was that that One Roberson was not prepared?
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to see the tact that James Franklin has taken when discussing Roberson publicly after the game. He was asked about the the pre-snap issues, and he said, well, that didn't happen when when Sean Clifford was in there. And then kind of putting a little bit more pressure on Roberson uh, through saying that that Bayou has made things close. I think that's interesting, and you assume that they, they know something behind the scenes about Roberson's psychology, that this is the best way to handle him, this is the best way to to get whatever message uh, that they want to him. Because we know that James Franklin is really deliberate with everything he says. He uses those news conferences to, to deliver some messages. He kind of goes in there knowing what he wants to say, what he wants to get across. So that's been pretty interesting uh, when you factor in the dynamic.
1: You know, just the idea of making sure that your reserve quarterback is ready to play is an, is going to be an ongoing thing uh, for a while now. And we just don't know without seeing behind the scenes, you know, did, did Roberson not merit more reps? Has he not merited more game experience in, in lopsided games? You know, that, that'll be the interesting thing. And, and it does seem to me, that was my first thought when I hear James Franklin go out of his way to say that this is somewhat close because that's not something that any of us would have assumed. Because as you mentioned, before, it wasn't worded that way previously before the season began. It seems like a message is being sent to Roberson to feel that urgency. Nothing's being handed to you. You're going to have to keep working for this.
0: Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the the backup preparation, I think I talked about it with Bob after the Iowa game and talked about it with you last week is that during that ball state game and the Villanova game, there are kind of some, some moments where your kind of your internal clock kind of felt like, okay, this is when we're going to see Roberson this is when they're going to finally take their foot off the gas, or this is when they're going to make the move. And it felt like that it was always kind of another series after that, uh, which I think worked on the Villanova game. They got some work. They got those guys out there. The Ball State game. Ball State went on like a seven-minute drive, which kind of torpedoed the chance to get uh, extended reps for for Roberson and and some of the other backups. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting, and I think we'll find out a lot about how prepared uh, these quarterbacks are, how good they are, how much they grasp the system, how kind of the 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 behind-the-scenes stuff has really come together for them uh, on Saturday.
1: This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Well, this segues into another interesting topic being Drew Aller from Medina High School in Ohio. Uh, this week picked up a fifth star from 24-7 sports. They've been higher on him, I think, than than most. Uh, he is number 12 nationally overall um, in the 24-7 sports rankings and now the number one quarterback in America in that class. And this factors into the conversation because if, if there's, you know, lukewarm feelings beyond Sean Clifford, let's say, on the Penn State roster, we could be looking at 2022, 2023 as, as maybe being a little bit more radical change than than we might might have been thinking before
0: definitely I think that that's kind of the that's the shadow uh that kind of looms for the quarterback room you know some these guys are going to have to make decisions after this year Clifford was going to have to decide you know he has the sixth year on the table that'll be a decision and then depending on how the rest of the season goes for Roberson and Veyu they'll have the transfer portal gives them options It, it gives them an out Obviously, it wouldn't be the best if everyone leaves and then you're just left with with two true freshmen uh, coming in. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But Aller's rise has really been impressive to watch. When Penn State offered him at the end of January, he was a three-star recruit. By the time he committed, he was a four-star recruit. And now, if he, as expected, holds on through National Signing Day and signs, he'll come in as a five-star recruit. Uh, which is, is pretty impressive. I mean, it is worth throwing out the caveat that the previous number one quarterback in the class was Quinn Ewers, who enrolled early at Ohio State. He reclassified to 2021 because of some NIL stuff. He had to make some of that kombucha money uh, that he couldn't make in Texas. Um, and he was the number one overall prospect in the class. So there is kind of some other external factors in play. Kind of like how when Penn State moved into the the number one spot in the recruiting rankings, it was directly tied to Ewers reclassifying and then another decommitment from Ohio State. Where just kind of the there, there's a lot of moving pieces that go into these things. But I think it's a good feather in the cap for Penn State for Mike Yersich, for James Franklin to have this type of quarterback in the mix. Uh, Medina is 9-0 and this year, which is, I think, their best record ever. He's thrown for 31 touchdowns, three interceptions. It, it really does kind of seem like one of those Friday Night Lights dream season situations, which has been pretty cool to follow from afar
1: you did a little bit of raining on people's parade there with, with number one with number one rankings just just accept that, the, that he's number one that Penn State was previously number one in the recruiting rankings and let's not mention Quinn Ewers let's also not mention that they had about eight more commits than the next class prior to losing that number one designation but still good class really good player um, got in on the ground floor I know James Franklin talked in some generalities about the idea of maybe be, having it be a little, a little luck but I think just evaluation because the same same thing happened, not that anybody's encouraging the same situation to play out with Justin Fields back in 2018. He was not a, a elite, elite quarterback when Penn State offered and he committed, but he grew into that. And the same thing's happening with Drew Aller, who does appear, just by the way, to be on very, very solid ground with his commitment, with the relationship with Mike Yurcich, with the relationship with James Franklin.
0: Yeah, the Justin Fields thing is interesting. I had not thought of that, and I I'm curious as to if there's going to be When national signing day actually comes and we can actually talk about these guys with the coaches, if there would be any, any lessons learned and kind of keeping someone like that in the fold. But I think that's still kind of an example of how college football, despite um, that it's, it's, it's a regional sport where Drew Aller is, Lives outside of Cleveland. It's four hours away. He's in Big Ten country. He's been exposed to to Penn State for a long time. Whereas Fields was in SEC country. He was farther away. There's a lot of you know Georgia that was in his backyard. Alabama is close. All those schools are are kind of around there. So I think that that's something that kind of plays into this too. Where even though they were on Zoom, they could recruit these guys from all over the country. They could do a little bit more work with with guys in Florida, guys in the South that. A lot of college football, it's, it's, you're still made by, by what you're around and, you know, what's in a six hour drive or six hour, seven hour radius or, or something along those lines.
1: You know, I think the Sean Clifford situation with, uh, coming back not coming back um is part of the the dialogue here and not that it's obviously top of mind for any of this but you do have guys who have eligibility left you know pj for being an example with him suffering a season-ending injury it changes the whole post 2021 plan for for all these players and it'll be interesting to see sean clifford whether he does or doesn't take that six year I, i'm fascinated by all the thinking that's going to go into that decision and uh it's not here yet we still got some games to play and with that in mind penn state illinois 23 and a half was was the last point spread that i saw and looking at Everything that we've talked about so far, the quarterback situation, the, the high probability that that a backup likely take Juan Roberson is leading this Penn State offense, it, it all kind of leads me to believe that Penn State is going to have a difficult time covering that point spread. Illinois has been playing like they're undermanned all year, and they're playing to try to shorten games and try to play mistake-free and force some mistakes. and. They're two and five. They're, they are undermanned, but they, in situations like this for a noon kickoff with a backup quarterback, likely, I don't like Penn State to, to be threatened really in this game, but that, that points spread seems very high to me with that.
0: Yeah. When oh, I saw it open at 17, I was kind of like, okay, I, c- I can see that a 27 10 game, some 28 10, something in there. But when it took that big jump uh, into the 20s, that, that kind of struck me. Illinois is still a, a Big 10 team, they haven't been necessarily good this year, but their, in their last time out, they lost to Wisconsin 24 to nothing, which kind of gives you an idea given what Penn State did against Wisconsin earlier this year, if you want to play the transitive game. But yeah, I mean, just a, just a really big number, even with, and especially with the questions that Penn State has, uh, the fact that even if the quarterback isn't, the quarterback position is unsettled, there's not really answers at running back right now. Uh, that you can just kind of be like, okay, well, you know, we'll start Taequann Roberson, but we'll hand it to the running backs 35 times and that'll take care of it. So that was a a, a very big, <laughs> a very big number for a conference game, especially with, you know, Brett Breedema has brought a level of competency to Illinois that that is hard to overlook. They're also coming off a bye. So I have Penn State 31, Illinois 10 feels like a three score game. I think Penn State would probably want uh, Those thirty-one to come really early and really quickly, but and that ten for Illinois to come late, but we'll see how it actually plays out.
1: So I picked it, I believe, at twenty-one to six, thinking that I think Penn State's offense might struggle to get the twenty-four given Illinois' style and and their likely limitations. On Penn State's side, in, in this team's favor are a couple things. One is Illinois poses virtually no threat at all in the passing game. You look, they're, they're A former quarterback is their leading receiver. He's averaging about nine yards per catch, has a huge majority of catches. He's got 32 catches, I think, uh, Isaiah Williams does, compared to like 11 or 12 for the next closest guy. If, if they're dropping back and throwing it, they're probably looking at him, and they're probably looking at him short. Mm-hmm. So that's one. They want to they run the ball. And Penn State will will be able to kind of condense that field that what there, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot to gain of, of going defending beyond 15 yards or so like this is going to be a compact field for Illinois. So that's in Penn State's favor. The defense has come to play in six straight games. I expect them to come in a seventh straight game. Uh, And then the other part of it is just the, this could be right around quitting time for Illinois. (laughs) They're they're two and five bad last week uh, against Wisconsin. Brett Bielema comes out this week and basically says, I don't have the players to win here, especially on the offensive line. We haven't found anybody who can play at this level on the offensive line. What is the motivation level for this Illinois team? So if you get like a pick six or you get a 14, nothing lead, take one Roberson or not, there is a possibility of this thing spiring a little bit because Illinois is right. It seems to be right at that tipping point. Penn State would love to just kind of push them over and, and start permanently looking ahead to 2022.
0: I didn't necessarily explicitly write this in my prediction, but I think I can see a defensive touchdown coming for Penn State. I think that kind of the, it's a sleepy noon start. It is homecoming, but it's still a noon start. Um, and I think that you'll get maybe you know something that will wake wake everybody up. Penn State's come close to getting the defensive touch. Well, Jesse Lookout had the defensive touchdown, but Brandon Smith had the drop pick six. There's been some other kind of pretty close close interceptions. So I think that there will be something that'll that'll break the game um, a little bit. You know, I I think it is kind of hard to to predict just this offense to score 31 based off what we've seen lately. But it's just really really hard to see Illinois really putting up a fight for that significant amount of time for, for that long. I feel, I feel kind of bad because it feels like one of those early season games against, against a non-con team. Uh, part of it is because of Ohio state. I'll admit it. I'm looking ahead.
1: You're allowed. Um, I mean, you're allowed to yeah. whatever you want. Your focus isn't all that important, Daniel.
0: I'm fine. If I go, zero and one this week, <laughs> that doesn't really hurt me that much, <laughs> but I think that Penn state has the chance just to really kind of get right. Uh, work out some kinks and get out and, and get on with it this year.
1: Make this uh, as miserable an experience for Illinois as early as you can. And I think that leads you to the promised land. As those are our predictions. Expecting a Penn State win. Maybe a little bit of a muddy game. We'll see how it goes. We also, I think, our collective prediction being take one Roberson starts a quarterback and plays at least a bulk of the of the snaps but i will be interested to see how or when christian bay you might get in the game and what sean Cl- clifford status actually is so a lot a lot to follow here
0: only thing i'm sure about this week is, is picking a penn state win who is leading it how it happens i got no idea
1: well, that's what the games are for. That's Daniel Gallon, Dustin Hawkinsmith here, wrapping up another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel JT Gallon. You can also read and follow everything we do at penlabcom slash Penn State football. And when it comes to the Blue White Breakdown podcast, we got a bunch of them we do each week, including Dave Jones and Bob Flounders earlier in the week. Those are on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and on YouTube as well. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.